Our Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 22, uh, yeah, right. verses 22 to 31, and that will be up on the screen for you if you brought your own Bible. Uh, take a look there. Uh, Psalm 22, verses 22 through 31. This is a psalm that you... Um, might recognize the first verse straight from the lips of Jesus when he was on the cross. He quotes from this psalm. It's the one that begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, It's a psalm of David. Uh, But we are going to look at the the last half of this this psalm, starting with verse 22. And before we begin reading, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do... Uh, thank you for your word that you've given to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to receive your word uh, into our hearts and into our lives today. God, that as we hear your word read and proclaimed, God, that by your word and by your spirit, we would be uh, changed even more today into the people that you have created us to be, those who are in relationship with you, through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 22, starting in verse 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. At the end, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. This is 1 John chapter 2. Verses 12 through 17. And John, in the middle of writing this letter, says, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, Because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) 
So it was um, one of those things that goes around on Facebook from time to time, and I wish that the last time I had seen it, I'd actually written down what it said or saved it somewhere so I could tell it to you exactly, but we'll just have to go with the best of my memory on this. There's this thing that goes around that says something along the lines of, you know, sometimes I think about uh, what I would do if I knew that today was my last day on earth. And uh, I think about, you know, going wild and uh, kind of, uh, you know, feasting or whatever it is. And he says, but then it struck me. Jesus did know. And he washed feet. And that is the, the moment that we're looking at uh, in the Gospel of John is this last day on earth for Jesus. And how did he spend that time when he knew that this was it? That this is the last time that he's going to spend with his disciples. And he doesn't spend it um, having them, you know, treat him to all the nicest things the world has to offer. Instead, he begins the evening by washing their feet. He, began, he pours himself out to them this evening. And in fact, what we're looking at now is how he concludes the evening with them, which is in prayer. And so you say, well, yeah, I think if I knew that this was my last day, I might spend some time praying. (laughs) But what's really interesting is how much of the prayer of Jesus is prayed for himself. And it's not very much. And how much of the prayer he prays is for his disciples and for other people. And that's what we're actually going to look at today is how Jesus prays for his disciples and the things that he prays for them and why he prays for them before he goes to the cross. So this is in John uh, chapter 17, and it is uh, verses 6 through 19. Jesus, well, picks up the prayer this way. He says, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have, (laughs) now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and you, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, 
that they too may be truly sanctified. Again, this is the middle and longest section of the prayer uh, where Jesus prays for his disciples, specifically the 12 of them, who, 11 of them, who are there in the room with him. And the way that he begins this section is picking up right where he left off in uh, what we looked at last week of how Jesus had been praying for himself. You know, first five verses anyway. And he'd been praying that God would glorify him, even that God the Father would glorify him, God the Son, even as he glorifying the Father. This is what he is praying for. And what we talked about is uh, glory being, you know, like a weightiness, an importance, and uh, a significance. And so it was the, I want people to know who you are and the importance that you have, the significance that you have throughout uh, everything. And in order for that to happen, of course, Jesus is the one revealing the Father, then people need to know who he is. And so this is why Jesus is praying this. So even in the prayers that he prays for himself, it's really so that everyone will know and uh, who he is and who the Father is, so that uh, what is truly important, people would know, is truly important. That was the prayer for himself. So then he goes, shifts to the prayer for his disciples and starts out by saying, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. This is where he begins. This is what I've done. I was sent for this purpose, to reveal you, and that is what I've done. And this is one of the things that we've actually been looking at all the way through the Gospel of John are the ways that Jesus has done this. And uh, we said towards the beginning of this whole series how sometimes people say, you know, Jesus never actually says, I am God. You say, well, okay, that's fair. However, there is no fair reading of the gospel that doesn't just scream off the page, Jesus saying, I am God. (laughs) Because everything that he does is what God does. Everything that he says is what God says. And and the way that he uh, shows this complete connection with his heavenly father Uh, this is what we've noted all the way through. And so when you see Jesus at this point, before he goes to the cross, praying, what he says is, I have done it. I have revealed you. That was what I was to do, and that is what I have done. I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. Now, we need to talk about the world. Because the Bible uses the word world uh, in a couple different ways. And so you see things like what we just read in... um, in 1 John, where it says, do not love the world or anything in the world, right? On the other hand, you have famously John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. You're like, well, why are we not supposed to love the world if God loves the world? Which is it? Well, it's both. Uh, we are actually supposed to love the world and we're not supposed to love the world. Thanks, Joe. That helps a lot. Well, there you go. But it's because world is being used in a couple different ways. Um, on the one hand, you have the people of the world. You have the people who just exist in this creation. And God loves people. However, there is a worldliness. A worldliness that sees, uh, like the book of Ecclesiastes talks about, all of life under the sun, as though there is no God. But it's just 
everything, um, yeah, like when we talk about how do you get ahead in this world, <laughs> that kind of thing. The worldliness where you see the stuff of the creation and you miss the creator. That kind of worldliness. The, um, the worldliness that Jesus talks against when he says things like um, in Luke 12, and he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Well, that's in direct contrast to a worldliness that says, no, life does consist in an abundance of possessions. The more you can get, the better. That's how you get ahead in this world. And that's what John is speaking against when he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. It is... um, It is this love of the ways of the world and the things of the world instead of a love for God that that is so problematic. That is um, the problem that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve turning away from God and trying to do life without him. That is the worldliness. And so when Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, it's that kind of thing. That there's a whole world full of people who are living and thinking and believing in worldly ways. And Jesus has gone and selected these people. These people that God has given him out of the world. Those who actually understand that there is something else. In John chapter 6, Jesus, as he's revealing uh, the Father... To the crowds, he says, he's talking about, I am the bread of life. In other words, you need me if you want to live. And he gets to the end of uh, that whole talk to a bunch of people. And they all leave. Except the twelve. And these twelve, Jesus says, what, aren't you going to leave too? And Peter, speaking for the group, says, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. This is what Jesus means when he says, uh, those you gave me out of the world. They were a part of that same crowd, and yet their perspective on who Jesus was was different than everybody else. There's perspective on the things of the world versus the words of life. It's very different. This is what Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus prays for these given by God out of the world, those who have accepted and believed his word of revelation, the word revealing God the Father uh, to them. Going down to, um, well... We're not going to go through this verse by verse, just so you know. Uh, But that first verse is quite instructive in the whole prayer. But now I want to actually skip down to the specific things that he prays for, for these disciples. It would be a good exercise to go through this verse by verse. Um, But I want to talk about the, the things that he prays for them. He prays for protection. He prays for unity. 
He prays for their joy. And he prays for their holiness. For protection, for unity, for joy, and for holiness. Now think about this. (laughs) Jesus is about to go to the cross. He has spent uh, several years with these men. And the night before he goes to the cross, and he keeps saying in this... uh, in this prayer, I am. I will remain in the world no longer, and I am coming to. Uh, where's that part? I'm coming to you. Yeah, so that times. So as Jesus knows he's leaving, the things that he prays for the disciples are these things. Why these things? Well, he also says a couple times in here, I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world. They are still in the world. So uh, where we have... So we'll start with protection. If Jesus says that he has been protecting them, keeping them safe, he says, but if I go away, they still need to be protected. Now what is it they need to be protected from? Do they need to be protected from the Roman soldiers? Maybe. Maybe. But I think mainly they need to be protected from the worldliness. They need to be protected from the world, the flesh, and the devil that is constantly trying to pull us away from God, has from the beginning. And sometimes that happens by making life really hard. Sometimes it happens by making life really easy. But the pull is always the same, to turn us away from God. And so Jesus prays for their protection, that they would stay faithful and true. Uh, Protect them, he says, by the power of your name. And why? The name you gave me. It says, so that they may be one as we are one. What? Do you even understand what he's saying there? Praying for these 11 disciples that they would have the same kind of unity as the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is that same way that we are completely united. He says, I want them to be that united. That's some serious unity, folks. (laughs) That's not just a group of people who can agree on where to go for lunch every now and then. These are people who are united in in heart and united in mind, who are united in mission. Who they know together what life is about and what the goals are and how the best ways are to achieve those goals. Do you see this kind of unity reflected in our modern um, anywhere you look? But even in the modern church, this is what Jesus prayed for, for his disciples. That they would be protected from the worldliness, the world, the flesh, and the devil that tries to pull them away from God. And that the reason for that is so that they would be one, that they would not be this division and the fracturing that undermines the very mission that Jesus uh, has given to them. 
Third, he prays for joy. This is verse 13 where he says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. That they may have the full measure of my joy. That's a lot of joy. And he says, that's what I want for them. I'm not talking about some sort of uh, kind of mindless uniformity where it just becomes drudgery. No, I'm wanting them to experience the same kind of unity that I have with you, Father, so that they will have joy. That they're, uh, when they go about the work that I've given them to do, it won't be a work that is full of frustration, but that it will be a work that is full of the joy that comes with actual, genuine cooperation. Where we are all pulling together as one. There is a joy there. And he says, I want them to know this kind of joy. The joy that I have when I am serving you and you say, this is what we're doing. I say, yeah, that's what we're doing. And we go and we do that and it's joyful. I want them to know that kind of joy. I want them to have the full measure of my joy within them. And then finally, he prays for their holiness. This is important. Because in verse 15 and uh, 16, he says, you know, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. This is why he has to pray for our holiness, the holiness of his disciples. Because we're still going to be living in a world that is pulling a different direction. And so verses 17 through 19 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For, I, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. You probably just heard me use the word sanctified a lot. You didn't hear me say anything about holiness. Thanks, English. Here's the thing. In the Greek, it's the same word. That sanctify is just the verb form of holiness or of holy. And so you could say this if you were to use bad English, but hey, why not? Holy them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I holy myself, that they too may be truly holy or holy. Those who are made holy. Well, what in the world does that mean? These are, um, this is one of those biblical concepts that we often misunderstand. Let me just give you a brief overview of holiness. In its most basic sense, it's just that which has been set apart for a special purpose. That which has been completely set apart for a special purpose. You might have something like this in your own house, actually. You may have things like uh, you know, that, that dish that only comes out of Thanksgiving, and you don't use it for anything else. And so Thanksgiving Day comes around, and you, you know, go through the cabinets, you get a special dish only for uh, Thanksgiving. And you could, I suppose, bring it out when you bring the fast food home and throw everything in there. It would hold it. 
But that would be inappropriate. That's not what that dish is for. <laughs> and you would have this, this feeling of that. Tim Mackey talks about um, the way that we have house, or rooms in our houses that have been set aside for special purposes. And so the way he says it, there are things that you uh, do in the kitchen that you would not do in the bathroom, and vice versa. Those rooms have been set aside for particular purposes. Another one uh, I think of along these lines is like prom dresses. When prom season comes around, guys are like, I don't know, what do I wear? Whatever, I guess. And girls are like, it's time to go shopping because you have to find a, a dress that you've never worn before and you're never going to wear again. This is my prom dress. It is set aside for this purpose. Same thing with a wedding dress. A guy could buy, could buy a tux and wear it to prom and weddings and anywhere he wants to go. Same one, doesn't matter, whatever. Uh, wear it to watch the game, I don't, you know. But the wedding dress, that's a single-use kind of thing. It has been set aside for that purpose. And you could go mow the lawn or go shopping at the grocery store in it. That wouldn't be appropriate. It has been set aside for a particular purpose. I do know of one notable exception to that, and I'm not going to talk about it right now, but you can ask me later. Um, but this is the idea of being set aside completely and wholly devoted to a particular purpose. What Jesus is saying when he prays for his disciples here is they have been set aside for a particular purpose. Keep them set aside for that purpose. This is why he's praying for their protection because when you have uh, something that has been uh, set aside for a particular purpose, something that is to be holy, and you use it for some common purpose, some other purpose, it's, it's inappropriate and it disgraces and defiles that which had been made holy. Um, if you have a toothbrush that has been set aside to brush your teeth and then you find a very difficult stain to remove from the tile floor, well, this will work just as well. And you use it to remove the stain. I don't see what the big deal is. It works fine for this. But now the question is, you want to stick that back in your mouth? <laughs> no. It had been set aside for a particular purpose, and now you've gone and defiled it. And it would need to be <laughs> made holy again. What Jesus is saying here in these last verses of uh, this part of the prayer is this is, what he, this is who he is. He is someone who was set aside for a particular purpose. And he has done that. He has revealed the Father to his disciples. And now he is going to the cross for his disciples. For them, I sanctify myself. But why? That they too may be truly sanctified. Now Jesus, of course, is talking specifically about the 11 disciples there with him in the room. But this does go farther. And we're going to look at that uh, even more next week as to how this does come down to us as those who have believed the message through these disciples.
And so I want us to consider, as uh, we conclude today, what it means for Jesus to be praying for us to be made holy, to be sanctified, to be those who have been set aside for a particular purpose. What are the ways of the world that we are not to engage in because it takes us away from God, it takes us off the mission that he has us on? What, are the, what is the purpose that he has set us aside for? In the same way that Jesus is to reveal the Father, guess what? He has set us aside for this purpose of revealing who Jesus is. How his way is not the way of the world. How the things of God are not the things of the world. That we are to live differently this is why he talks about you know, being uh, that light on a stand or a city on a hill. That people would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Not glorify us, glorify him. But that only works if we're actually doing his things, his ways. But this is what Jesus prays for. So the first question is, what is it that we pray for? Jesus taught his disciples to pray given words of what we call the Lord's Prayer. But this prayer is also instructive. As we look at how Jesus prays for his disciples, he prays for their protection that they're going to need, praise for their unity. It's going to be difficult <laughs> with everything fighting against it. He prays for their joy, knowing that they will go through some hard times. And he prays for their holiness, that they would truly uh, be the people of God. What do we pray for? And secondly, how do we live out the things that Jesus has prayed for, for his disciples? I'm not going to give you answers to those. These are just questions we're going to sit with. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for your amazing love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the guidance that you give us. We pray that you help us to pay attention. To know what the next step is that you have for us. Or we do pray that you would protect us Protect us from the things of this world. 
protect us from our own heart that are so deceitful we can find ourselves running after the things of the world without even realizing it. Or sanctify us. Make us holy. Lord, set us completely apart for your purposes, not our own. Or that we would know what to do, that we would know how to do it, and or that we would walk in your ways by your light, by your word, by your spirit. And that in doing so, we would know the joy that comes from this kind of life. The joy that comes from this complete connection with you and with others who are also connected with you. Lord, help us to shine at not our own light into the world, but help us to reflect your light. Or that you would be glorified above all. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Of 